Good morning. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. If you'd like to follow me, it's on page 6 of your bulletin. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can we make salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Buenos días. La lectura esta mañana viene del de, de quinto capítulo de Mateo. Ustedes son la sal de la tierra, pero si la sal pierde su sabor, ¿cómo volverá a ser salada? Ya no servirá para nada, sino para ser arrojada a la calle y pisoteada por la gente. Ustedes son la luz del mundo. Una ciudad asentada sobre un monte no se puede esconder. Tampoco se enciende una lámpara y se pone debajo de un cajón, sino sobre un candelero, para que alumbre a todos los que están en casa, de la misma manera que la luz de ustedes alumbre delante de todos, para que todos vean sus buenas obras y glorifiquen a su Padre que está en los cielos. Thanks, brothers. Let's say a word of prayer before we begin. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time, the privilege that we have to open your word publicly and to learn together communally. It's a gift. And we pray that you would send your spirit and we pray that you would make your word effectual in our lives. That something deeply spiritual, even supernatural, would take place in these next few minutes. I pray that you would help me not to get in the way, neither by my weaknesses nor even by my strengths, but rather that we would together encounter but you, that we would have a living encounter with the living God in Christ. That gives us a lot of encouragement to think that that could happen, that that will happen. So with expectation, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I cooked a pork loin for dinner last night, and I overcooked it, as I tend to do, it seems, every single time. So I, I wasn't surprised, though it did sting a little bit, when Paula left the table at one point and came back with a bottle of A1 sauce. <laughs> the chef tried not to be offended. But, you know, she actually stopped at one point, and she actually said, oh, oh, just to be clear, it, it wasn't that the meat was too dry or unseasoned. I just like A1 sauce. I mean, she, she actually tried to say that. I mean, I was just waiting for her to try another line, like, it's not you, it's me. Or, <laughs> you know, some things in life, and even on our plates, need a little extra seasoning, a little extra salt. At least that's what Jesus seems to be saying to his disciples when he tells them, you are the salt of the earth, in verse 13. And in verse 14, you are the light of the world. 
Here he's using two vivid word pictures, two images, salt and light. What do they mean? What does he mean when he uses these metaphors? You may or may not know that in Jesus' day, salt was used as a condiment, adding extra seasoning to your dinner, Uh, But that actually wasn't the main use. Sorry for the almost misleading introduction. Actually, in the ancient world, salt was mainly used as a preservative. You think about it, it makes sense. Remember, this was a time before we had refrigerators or freezers. So if you wanted to have a piece of meat hang around for a little bit longer than it otherwise might, you would rub salt into the meat so it wouldn't rot. Recently, Paula cleaned out the fridge and pointing to a dish of Korean leftovers, she turned to me and she asked, is this too old? And I replied with a grin, look, Korean food never goes bad. And the reason, I was joking, but the reason is for some Korean dishes, the salt and the spice content is so high, it's just surprising how long leftovers can last in the fridge. Because you see, salt slows decay. Salt preserves things from death. You are the salt of the earth. Similarly, light was essential to daily life in Jesus' times. Uh, Today, we don't get that, especially in the West. We have light everywhere, sometimes more than we want. Sometimes we don't even remember how dark it really can get. Sometimes Paula and I, we joke about how our kids growing up here in the city, one day they're going to realize that there actually are more than four stars in the sky, which they can't yet see. You know, the glow of the city lights are just so bright. Back in the day, of course, without electricity, all you had, all you had were little oil lamps that you would have to light in the house if you wanted to see. You would put the lamp on a stand, Jesus explains in verse 15, And it gives light to everyone in the house because, you see, light chases away darkness. Salt slows decay. Light chases darkness. What is Jesus telling us? He's reminding us that the world that we live in is filled with lots of decay, disorder, darkness, And death. We live in a broken world, don't we? There's evidence of it everywhere spiritually, socially, relationally, psychologically, emotionally, morally, even physically. Jesus is telling us my followers are called to work against death and darkness with their words and with their way of life, their actions. He's talking about being a a witness in the world. Jesus says, let your light shine before others. In other words, do something, say something. But his emphasis isn't just on activity. It's on identity. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. If you are a Christian... Which is to say, if if Jesus has shined his light into the darkness of your life, saving you. If Jesus 
has salted your soul, preserving it from spiritual death and even judgment. If you're a Christian, then your life will be, should be, ought to be, shall be salt, and your life will be light. It's identity and activity. Jesus' followers are called to work against death and darkness with their words and their way of life. How do we do that? How do we do that? I'm going to give you four quick things. Number one, dare to be different. Dare to be different. Jesus gives us a, a couple additional words here where he sort of explains that salt, if it loses its saltiness, is of no use or value anymore. You say, lose saltiness, how does that work? That hasn't happened to me lately. Well, you have to understand in the ancient world, they would actually gather salt from marshes, uh, from dried up ponds and lakes and such. So there, there would be salt, but also a lot of other impurities mixed in. Uh, ground up gravel and sand and dirt and rocks and so you would use salt, but there would also be other things in there. And once it was used up, all you would have left is the gravel, which would then be tossed out, thrown away to be trampled on the ground, Jesus reminds his listeners. You see, salt is useless if it's not salty. Jesus also says, look, a, bowl, a, a light is meant to be lit up throughout a house. You don't put it under a bowl. That sort of defeats its design. You don't hide the light. You let the light shine. And you see, Jesus here is saying, you're meant to be in your life, your manner, your words, meant to be conspicuous, visible observable, attractive before the very eyes and the hearts of your neighbors around you. He doesn't say publicize it. He doesn't say draw attention to your life in an annoying way. He says just let your light shine. If you're just living an authentically Christian life, you're not hiding. If you're speaking authentically, Christian meditations with your lips, you will be noticed. Uh, growing up, there was a, a store, a clothing store called Miller's Outpost. I think it was a California thing, and they had these commercials that I feel like I saw every single day of my childhood, and their great slogan, of course, it was a clothing store, remember, was, dare to be noticed. Dear Christian, not because of your style, but because of your saltiness, by the grace of God, will you dare to be noticed? Will you dare to live in such a distinctive way in your manner, in your character, that there actually is a visible difference between you and those around you, which is precisely what most of us on most days are trying to hide. Let's be honest. Isn't there knocking at our doors on our hearts always this temptation to hide out of fear or laziness or compromise 
even the selfishness of sin, wanting to downplay my distinctiveness as a Christian, which is what Jesus was referring to by the light that's stuck under a bulb or the salt that loses its distinctive saltiness. This is what this means, friends. Part of your Christian witness is going to mean, at times, sticking out once in a while. Too many Christians are trying to be salt that doesn't alter the flavor of the room or light that doesn't adjust the brightness of the room. And of course, by different, I mean a different way of loving, a different way of being just. Not just being obnoxiously other, but sometimes being more humble and more giving and more serving and, and, and more creative in the way that you're using your material possessions for the good of other people, whatever it might be. Are you one that tries to blend in? Or do you have courage, even eagerness, to have people notice the beauty of Christ in your life? with boldness, with joy. Not that they would see you, but in fact, so that through you, they might see the one who has become light for you. Even Jesus says, let your light shine that they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. That people around you might, might see something, might, might actually in your life get a glimpse of God. That actually in your neighborliness, that they might actually see a shadow of the ultimate neighbor. Jesus himself. Through our words, that they might actually hear a little echo of the voice of God. Dare to be different. Number two, draw near to decay, disorder, darkness, and death. Dare to be different, dare to draw near. You see, being salt and light means to go toward the darkness in order to shine that light. And not to hide it, and certainly not to huddle around it with others just like yourself. To be light means to shine it where everyone in the room can benefit from it. Indeed, to be a city on a hill that all in the entire expanse of the region could benefit from that light, from that salt. Being salt and light means not shying away or running away, but going towards those whose lives are falling apart, whose marriage is suffering a sort of death, whose depression is a real darkness, whose poverty really feels like economic decay, even death. Being salt and light means going towards people whose lives are falling apart morally. Legally, salty people and lit up people, as it were, are attracted 
to people's struggles. I mean, this is evidence of the grace of God in your life. You're actually attracted to struggle because you love that much. Because you, you, you've got a, a fire in your bones, as the prophet Jeremiah put it, that must be spoken and shared and given. A light in your heart, in your soul, a saltiness that you must salt with. In your daily work, with your work itself, in your choice of what street to live on, in your relationships, and in the people you choose to befriend. Can you be salty in drawing near to disorder, death? decay, and darkness, where you're on a daily basis, both through your words and through your actions, your deeds, you are pushing back the effects of the fall, the brokenness of life, where you're restraining evil, where you're saying no to death, spiritual, moral, and even physical death, where you're living in a way that overcomes the darkness, you're living as light, which also means, of course, letting yourself get rubbed in, like salt and meat, being not of the world, again, blending in as a chameleon, indistinguishable from the world, no, but still as a distinctive presence in the community, in the neighborhood, in your workplace, being rubbed into the fabric of those relationships, being, being embedded, being weaved into daily life, where, where you're so involved in your workplace, and, and maybe your saltiness means you're the person that holds relationships together. So much so that your coworkers start to say, look, she's so involved, it almost feels like the company would fall apart if she were to leave. Or where you're so invested in your block where you live that if you were ever to leave, your, your neighbors would say, wow, he, he was so invested, things just aren't the same without him. Who, who's the person that you can draw near to this coming week? Who, who's, where's the place that you've been shying away from that this call to be light and salt might make you think twice again. Number three, Jesus reminds us that character counts. Character counts. Now that might not sound like a surprising thing to find in the Bible, but think about this for a second together. As salt and light, yes, you do need to learn how to share your faith. Do you know how to explain the person and the work of Christ to a person that's brand new to them? Do, do you know your testimony, if you are a Christian, how you personally came to faith? You, you do need to learn how to defend your faith as well, what's often described as apologetics. Do you know why you believe? Uh, you do need to serve your neighbors with compassion and justice 
as salt and light? Do you, do you know the needs of your local community? As salt and light in the world, these things are needed, but please notice this isn't Jesus' biggest emphasis. Notice that this passage actually comes immediately after the Beatitudes. What we studied last week. If you weren't with us, this is where Jesus redefines for us what it means to be blessed. In God's kingdom, who is it that has God's favor, his approval, who is blessed? It's the humble. Surprise. It's those who aren't afraid to weep, who weep over their own sin. Those who are aching to see more righteousness in my life and in the world around me. Those who are wholeheartedly devoted to God without hypocrisy, who forgive unconditionally, who are peacemakers, who aren't afraid to be opposed themselves, even persecuted, because they're a follower of Jesus. It's right after this description of kingdom life, that array of character attributes, eight qualities called Beatitudes, that Jesus then says, all right, given that, be that way. This is your calling. This is who you are now. Salt and light. As John Stott, teacher and author, put it, Christian saltiness is Christian character, as depicted in the Beatitudes. And this is just surprising to us. Maybe it's not surprising to you, but I'm telling you now why it should be surprising to you. This is surprising, because when Jesus points to the quality of our witness to the world, he doesn't raise questions about your gifts, your talents, your abilities, how well you speak, how much charisma you have in your life, even what station of life and what kind of positions of authority or influence you have in society. He doesn't talk about our witnessing techniques. He doesn't even address our Bible knowledge when it comes to pointing to the quality of our witness. Jesus raises questions like, are you humble? Do you know how to cry real good over the things that make me weep? Are you hungry to see this world more like the world God intended it to be? And your life to be more like the life that God intended you to live? Do you forgive quickly? Do you repent easily? Do you show mercy? Character counts. The greatest moments of Christian saltiness, more than we realize, will be when you're quietly, quietly serving as a peacemaker between two warring co-workers. Or when you choose to be meek by God's grace in the face of aggressive adversity, not retaliating. Or when you're merciful, when you're 
positive that person doesn't deserve mercy. And you will be at your most effective at being a light, not when you're on the grand stage of life with a bright spotlight on your giftedness in the name of Jesus. No, you'll most be light when you're backstage in life with the candlelight of your character building trust with your next-door neighbor. Character counts. We know this if we actually take inventory of the ways that we are impacted by other people. It's not always what the person says, and sometimes it's not what they say, what the person says, it's how they smell, as it were. It's not what they do all the time, but also how they do it. These show the value of character, which counts. Fourthly and lastly, Character counts, community counts. Community counts. One thing you might miss here is that everywhere there's that word, that pronoun you, that Jesus uses in this passage, it's actually in the original language a plural you. Uh, Jesus is talking to a group and not just to individuals, we typically read this passage, if you've read it before or studied it or heard it taught before, and we come away saying, well, okay, I guess I need to be that witness. What Jesus is inviting us to consider is that one of your responses ought to be, okay, we need to be that witness. You see, because the church corporately, it is meant to be a, a mini model of the kingdom of God, that we are to be, as we talked about last week, uh, sort of an embodiment of a new spiritual administration, a new way that we use power, and a new way in which relationships are formed, a new way in which resources are shared, a new way in which people are valued, a new way in which the grace of God turns our lives upside down, or rather right side up. You see, Jesus is getting at this when he says, look, you are a light. And then he changes the picture a little bit and says, you're, you're a city upon a hill, a town upon a hill whose light can't be hidden. Because what's he picturing? It's everyone's individual lamps in their homes and in their homes and outside their homes and collectively brightening up the entire city. And if it's on a hill, then the entire region. It's the sum total of your lights together that has effect as well. In other words, Jesus is reminding us that the, the church isn't just this organization. It's, it's actually meant to be an alternate city within the city, an alternate Washington, D.C., within Washington, D.C., where we're, as the Bible describes us, 
a colony of heaven showing a new way of being human. And that that is what salts the world and seasons relationships and preserves the life of the community from destruction and decay. That is what conveys the attractiveness of the light and the truth of Jesus. You, not just individually, but together, are what this neighborhood needs to see. What do they see? What do you see when you peer in? And especially for those of you that might be new to our community or new as neighbors in the community, what do you see? But what would it look like for the collective community to be salty in the way that we demonstrate a whole new way of relating to one another as human beings? Where you have people that are in the same space calling each other family. Whether if they're wealthy or if they don't have a lot of material stuff. A community where people are no longer sizing each other up based upon the size of their bank accounts. Where people don't hate those who have more than them or look down on those who have less than them. Where people come into relationships and you don't find them, by God's grace, working the room just to make a name for themselves, but rather they're moving through the room looking for a person to serve. That they're not just bearing their own hurts, but rather they're looking for someone else's hurts to heal. A community that's known for its generosity. A community that know, is known for both esteeming marriage and esteeming singlehood and neither marginalizing one nor the other. How countercultural would that be? People who are learning how to interact both as men and as women because the grace of God transforms the way that we relate to sexuality as well. And here's a miracle or a dream, and what would it look like to be a politically reconciled community, especially in politically rancorous times as these? What would it be to be a church that leads the way for the neighborhood and even for the city? in modeling what it looks like for people of different racial and cultural backgrounds. To not just worship in the same space, but to be in each other's lives. Reconciled brothers and sisters. Because look, if we can't do it in here, where we have God's gospel and his spirit, why would we ever expect the neighborhood to get it out there? To be a community where the elderly are not valued according to some dehumanizing definition of productivity, but are loved and embraced as treasures of wisdom in Jesus' name. Spiritual fathers and mothers that are vital for young people to grow in grace alongside. Where children are not seen as a nuisance or a distraction but rather 
little bundles of, yeah, unpredictable wonder. Little packages of spirit-filled glory. What would it look like for the kingdom to come here in this modest little space and collection of relationships? And what would it look like then for the watching world to see that light and that salt? And Jesus says, that is your witness, not just individually, but corporately, together as a community. Will you dare to be different? Will you dare to draw near to the darkness? Will you dare to believe that character counts more than anything and that community counts if we want the world to be shaped and renewed and restored by the grace of God and his kingdom? If you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to work against death and darkness with your words and with your way of life, being a witness in word and deed. Jesus, give us grace to do that and be that even this coming week. Let's pray. We pray that perhaps what some of us most need is to receive your light in our own life. And to receive your preserving salt, your grace rescuing us. Do that for us, maybe for some for the first time. And for others in a new and fresh way. That we could individually and collectively be salt and light for the good of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's sing. Mm -hmm.